You are listening to TGTM News number 89, recorded for Wednesday, February 6, 2013. You are listening to the Tech-Only Hacker Public Radio Edition. To get the full podcast, including political commentary and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeektome.us. Here are the vile statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek Talk Geek to Me. This is Dan Washko, and now the Tech Roundup. From TornFreak.com, Pirate Bay founder could be prosecuted for hacking within a month by Enigmax. A Swedish prosecutor says that in a month's time, he hopes to bring charges against Pirate Bay co-founder Gottfried Swarthholm, who is alleged to have hacked into an IT company working for Sweden's tax authority. In late August 2012, Pirate Bay co-founder Gottfried Swarthholm was deported from Cambodia to Sweden. It was presumed that Gottfried had been taken to serve the year in prison he was handed for his involvement in the Pirate Bay. After a touchdown at Stockholm's Arlanda Airport, the authorities claimed Gottfried had been involved in high... Hacking Logica, a Swedish IT company working with local tax authorities. Gottfried has been held ever since, first in solitary confinement and more recently at Mayrfred Prison, roughly 65 kilometers outside Stockholm. In addition, Gottfried is also a suspect in another hacking claim. Quote, I contacted the prosecutor about two weeks ago and asked him about what will happen in the near future, Gottfried's mother, Christina Swarthholm, informs Torn Freak. She added, Earlier, he told the media that he will decide about any prosecution or not for the two infringements and four frauds that Gottfried is suspected of in late January, beginning of February. To me, he has said that he would first finish his investigation and then decide about any prosecution. I didn't get any time schedule for this. End quote. Prosecutor Henrik Olin now says he hopes to complete his investigation in a month, at which point he'll make his decision. Quote, our ambition is to be able to prosecute, but I am, of course, open to any new information that may come in, says Olin, end quote. Reports from his mother say that Gottfried is being treated well by both the guards and his fellow inmates after he was moved from solitary. His only enemy is boredom since he is still denied a computer and internet access, a situation which isn't likely to change. From EFF.org, is it illegal to unlock a phone? The situation is better or worse than you think, by Mitch Stoltz. Legal protection for people who unlock their mobile phones to use them on other networks expired last weekend. According to the claims of major U.S. wireless carriers, unlocking a phone bought after January 26 without your carrier's permission violates the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, whether the phone is under contract or not. In a way, this is not as bad as it sounds, and otherwise, it's even worse. What changed? The DMCA prohibits circumventing digital locks that control access to copyrighted works like movies, music, books, games, and software. It's fantastically overbroad law that bans a lot of legal, useful, and important activities. In what's supposed to be a safety valve, the U.S. Copyright Office and the Library of Congress have the power to create exemptions for important activities that would otherwise be banned by the DMCA. In 2012, EFF asked for and one, exemptions for jailbreaking or rooting mobile devices to run unapproved software, and for using clips from DVDs and internet video and non-commercial videos. 
Consumers Union and several smaller wireless carriers asked for an exemption for unlocking phones. The Copyright Office granted their exemption too, but sharply limited the window to just a few months. First, the good news. The legal shield for jailbreaking and rooting phones remains up. It'll protect us at least through 2015. The shield for unlocking your phone is down, but carriers probably aren't going to start suing customers in mass, RIA style, and the copyrights office's decision, contrary to what some sensationalist headlines have said, doesn't necessarily make unlocking illegal. Unlocking is an illegal gray area under the DMCA. The law was supposed to protect creative works, but it's often been misused by electronics makers to block competition and kill markets for used goods. Now the bad news. While we don't expect mass lawsuits anytime soon, the threat still looms. More likely, wireless carriers or even federal prosecutors will be emboldened to sue not individuals, but rather businesses that unlock and resell phones. So what can we do? Creating and defending the next round of exemptions will start in late 2014. What we really need to do is either fix the exemption process or reboot the anti-circumvention provisions of the DMCA or both. From TechDirt.com, anti-piracy group already demanding that Kim.com's new mega-service be shut down, by Mike Masnick. This probably isn't a huge surprise, but with the launch of Kim.com's new mega-cloud drive system, many in the entertainment industry have assumed that he must be relaunching mega-upload and a way to infringe. However, it seems pretty clear that Mega is quite different and mostly resembles other well-known legitimate services, like Google Drive, Dropbox, and Amazon's cloud offerings. Still, that hasn't stopped some in the anti-piracy community from trying to shut down the site already. Robert King is the lead figure behind Stop File Lockers, an anti-piracy group dedicated to bringing file hosting services to their knees by strangling their finances. Last year, King claimed his group had a hand in disrupting the cash flow to hundreds of sites and actually shutting down dozens more. Now he has a very big scalp on his mind. King, an Australian and adult industry player, says that Stop File Lockers have just begun a campaign to have the payment processing of all mega resellers terminated. Apparently, waiting for actual evidence of infringement or even specific liability for mega is too much to ask. This is silly. While we may have doubts about how Mega is running, shutting it down without even understanding what it's about seems incredibly short-sighted. Plenty of successful, legitimate companies have been built out of those who were earlier sued for infringement. Isn't it worth at least making sure he's breaking the law before insisting he must have done so? Also from TechDirt.com, TechCrunch admits that using Facebook comments drove away most of their commenters. By Mike Masnick. Now this article's written in the first-person perspective by Mike Masnick. So I'm going to read it that way. I must admit to something of a minor fascination in how other sites manage their comments. As we've noted many times, we personally found that keeping our comments pretty wide open fosters the best sorts of discussions in the long run. Yes, like any sites, there are some users who are annoying and some who exhibit trollish behavior, but most people can get past that pretty quick. In fact, at times, those people while frustrating initially, can spur some really interesting conversations. One thing we've never quite understood, however, is the attack on anonymity that so many sites insist upon. As we've seen over and over again, many of our most insightful comments have come from anonymous commenters. 
So I was actually surprised a few years ago when TechCrunch moved to switch all of its comments to Facebook comments, claiming that one of the good things about it was that it required you to provide your real name. Apparently, that wasn't actually such a good thing for lots and lots of commenters. As after nearly two years, TechCrunch has dumped Facebook comments and is pleading for commenters to come back. Our comments are obviously far from perfect, but we've never been at a loss for having spirited discussions on nearly all of our posts. There's just something awesome about the community that likes to really dig into the various stories. That's part of why we've always viewed this site as discussion site, rather than a news or reporting site. We post stuff with our opinion because we expect people to respond, good or bad, agree or disagree, in the comments, and for some sort of discussion to ensue. That doesn't mean that we like to encourage trollish behavior, but we recognize that encouraging a real community has its benefits. And one key aspect to that is keeping the barrier low. Too many other sites seem to think the best way to deal with the messiness of some annoying commenters is to make it more difficult to comment. However, as TechCrunch has discovered, like chemotherapy, it's a solution that can kill off many of the good cells along with the bad. From TornFreak.com, the 16th century religious wars and today's copyright monopoly wars have more in common than you think, by Rick Falkvinge. People in power have always tried to prevent the common folk from attaining knowledge that threatens their power. This happened in the 16th century and it is happening now. The group in society that can control what other groups know and don't know will rise to power in every other aspect. Therefore, information technology has always been policed, even militarized to some extent, by any group that obtains the ability to control it. It has been the case since the dawn of civilization that some group has told everybody else what the world looks like, how it works, and how what happens in it. Usually that group is placed at the center of a particular worldview in one way or another. This continues today, with governments all over the world trying to put their spin of events on the news flow, putting themselves in a good light to literally get away with murder. The quest for the net's liberty is not a fight for some silly right to download free music. It's much larger than that. It breaks the hegemony that has stood for millennia. This is why the old guard is terrified of the internet. It's not that you can copy and spread their propaganda without asking. Heck, that's what they want and have always wanted. What they fear is that you can fact-check it and publish your findings without asking anybody's permission. Or worse still, you can start communicating your own view of the world rather than relating everything you think to their image of the world. All of this happened before. When the printing press was invented, it wasn't a revolutionary invention as such. It was a revolutionary combination of four other inventions, metal movable type, block pressing, oil-based inks, and cheap cloth-based paper. It revolutionized society by its ability to distribute information cheaply, quickly, and accurately. At its invention, Gutenberg pictured the Catholic Church using the printing press to distribute its Bibles better and faster, being able to get a more consistent interpretation of Christianity out to the smallest village. But that's not quite what happened. Rather, a new movement emerged, one that was much better at using the new technology and which used its superior ability to distribute information in getting the upper hand over the Catholic Church. It was called Protestantism, and differed from Catholicism in one crucial aspect. It printed Bibles in people's own languages. The power to interpret the Bible from Latin had been shattered, ruined, destroyed, and with it a large amount of the power of the Catholic Church. 
They tried every trick in the book to put the cat back in the bag and sabotage this technology, up to and including the death penalty, which was instituted in France on January 13, 1535, against the crime of using a printing press at all. It didn't work. The cat was indeed out of the bag. People could publish and distribute their own ideas. The hegonomy fell, but not without some 200 years of horrible wars. Looking closer at the situation, a bloody war between Catholicism and Protestantism seems odd and puzzling. They are two branches of the same religion that worship the same God, using the same instruction manual. Only the language of the instruction manual differs. One branch has it in local languages, the other branch has its instruction manual in Latin. Why was this worth 200 years of warfare across the entire known world at the time? The differences are indeed superficial, but the consequences of those differences are not. In one branch, it means that those who know Latin, the clergy and the academics, get the ability to tell everybody else what to do, and it was ruled in a strict religious top-down hierarchy. In other branch, that power of interpreting the instruction manual, the Bible, rested with the people themselves. The religious wars were never about religion as such. They were about who held the power of interpretation, about who controlled the knowledge and culture available to the masses. It was a war of gatekeepers of information. Does this narrative feel familiar? Interestingly, one of the methods used by the people on the Catholic side of the fight was to suppress dissent by censoring the printing press. While criminal and harsh penalties didn't work, commercial incentives to kill freedom of speech worked flawlessly. Mary I of England gave printing monopoly to London's Printing Guild, the London Company of Stationers, on May 4, 1557. This monopoly gave them exclusive rights to printing on all of England, in exchange for allowing the Queen's censors to prevent any threatening ideas from seeing the light of day. This monopoly was very beneficial for the new gatekeepers, the printers, and the ruling classes alike, with every member of the public losing their freedom of information from it. But how would those members of public know what ideas were never before their eyes and understand their impact to society? This monopoly stands to this day. It was the copyright monopoly that started like this. Yes, that means you can view today's copyright monopoly wars as a logical continuation of the 16th century religious wars. There is nothing new under the sun. More headlines in the news? To read these stories, follow the links in the show notes. The Justice Department does not need to explain why it wanted Twitter information of certain WikiLeaks supporters without a warrant, the Fourth Circuit ruled. Government requests for Twitter users' data rise 20% in 2012. Imagine BitTorrent group Sysop speaks out as he heads to prison. Mega launches brilliantly secure but not anonymous. Staffed and produced by the TGTM news team, editorial selection by Deep Geek, views of the story authors reflect their own opinions and not necessarily those of TGTM news. News from TechDirt.com, TheStand.org, IcelandReview.com, and AllGov.com used under arranged permission. News from TorrentFreak.com and EFF.org, used under permission by the Creative Commons by Attribution License. News from DemocracyNow.org, used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. News sources retain their respective copyrights.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in DeepGeek. Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work as well as allowing you to modify the work so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.